Hi, my love. Welcome back to the One Take Wonder podcast with the Hot Weird Girl. I'm the Hot Weird Girl in question. My name's Alexia. You can find me on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Hot Weird Girl. That's girl with a zero instead of an I. And new episodes come out every Monday night. It's like the late night show, but better. And this week, I am not only excited to tell you what we're talking about, but I'm so excited to really set the scene for next week's interview because I've had the opportunity to talk with a fashion expert, or she's an expert in my eyes. She's my little sister, Alana, and not only did she work New York Fashion Week this year, but she's also worked Fashion Week in Paris last year. um, She's a super talented designer. She's at one of the top design programs in the United States, finishing out her final year before she jets off to LA to do costume designs, or maybe she'll stay in New York. I hope that she stays on the East Coast close to me. But um, she's really talented. She's been incredibly fashion forward since she was a little kid. And she's been helping dress me for as long as she's been able to point out which color matches with which color. So I'm so excited to have her on the podcast next week. We'll be discussing her experiences at both respective fashion weeks. And we'll also be going over the trends for this year, what's truly in and what's truly out from someone that works designer shows and actually had creative control at a fashion show um, this year. We'll also be asking her more personal questions. Um, We'll touch on some stuff that I touch on the podcast, but one really special segment that I want to introduce to you guys is I reserved a couple of minutes for her to answer your fashion questions. I love when you guys reach out to me. It seriously makes my day, especially when you guys send in your thoughts and ideas, and I would love if you guys would send in a couple of questions that you'd like to ask someone in fashion, especially since fashion is something that I really care about and I don't think I talk enough about on my podcast. So because of that, I wanted to talk about my fascination with Victoria's Secret, um, why I think the brand has the potential to succeed again and why it ultimately won't. Um, And just that little bit of cultural analysis because it's fun and lighthearted and I think we all kind of need that break on this podcast once in a while. So without further ado, let's get into it. I'm an incorrigible gossip. It's gotten so bad that not only will I gossip about my own personal life, but I'm just like tuned in to other people's business. When I still lived in Pittsburgh, I would take the Martin Luther King Boulevard like expressway and there was a girl who every Wednesday loved to talk about her baby daddy on the phone. I would keep my AirPods in, unplug my Bluetooth or like turn off my Bluetooth and listen to her talk shit about that man for the entire 25 minute ride. It was awesome. So I kind of feel like it goes without saying that I love pop culture and I love celebrity news. But if you want to intellectualize it, if you want to feel a little highbrow for caring about celebrities, I personally believe that celebrity news and how we react to it is a thermometer for the cultural temperature. And we can actually see our own cultural mores and values reflected back to us in the people we elevate, the way that we chastise elevated people, and what behavior we kind of let slide. And that's a really good thing to tell someone the next time someone checks you for reading TMZ, which that was just the first example that popped into mind. I think at this point, we all know that TMZ is just this like toxic, like it's credible, but you can also buy them. And for not really a lot, you know what I mean? In my 26 years, I still think the peak of celebrity culture was the early aughts. That's the early 2000s. 
And by the mid-2010s, it was beginning to taper out. It's my opinion that COVID almost completely killed celebrity interest. And now this kind of sounds egregious. That's not to say that no one is interested in celebrities. As I just said, like not even two minutes ago, I'm deeply interested in celebrities. But I definitely think there is a difference in how the mainstream approaches celebrity news now versus the way we did 20 years ago. I mean, I very vividly remember a time when celebrities were considered entitled for asking for boundaries, something that's more commonly accepted now. We were also more critical of their appearances, specifically a woman's weight, um, their hair. And while I still think those things go on today, I think there's less pressure on celebrities. That being said, that pressure is still enormous. And just because you don't have a billion eyes on you anymore, maybe you only have a couple million, that still doesn't mean that the pressure of those million eyes watching you isn't significant or deeply impactful. So I'm in no way trying to minimize the effect of celebrity culture on celebrities, but just to really highlight this time as celebrities really used to be the gold standard for beauty and for culture. And we weren't yet at a point where it was socially acceptable to even imply that maybe we shouldn't be looking towards them, or we could also look towards everyday people for sources of inspiration. And it was really during this time that the brand Victoria's Secret flourished. And now notably, Victoria's Secret was started in the late 70s, 1977, I believe, by Roy and Gay Raymond. And then in about 1982 or 1983, they sold the store to Leslie Wexner, who expanded Victoria's Secret into American shopping malls. Now, this is about 1983. And by the early 1990s, Victoria's Secret became the largest lingerie retailer in the United States, growing the company into 350 stores nationally with sales by $1 billion. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Victoria's Secret, it's the, a lingerie retailer, and as I said, one of the largest lingerie retailers in the history of the United States. And it very much focused on, as a lingerie brand would, selling sexy. So all of their models were referred to as Victoria's Secret Angels, and they booked the hottest of the hot models. They were known for booking girls that were more voluptuous. I say this very tongue-in-cheek because a voluptuous model is still, you know, what, a size zero? instead of a double zero, but they were known for booking girls who had more of a busty figure. Think Tyra Banks, Barbara Palvin, of course, Giselle Bunchkin, Adriana Lima, Gigi Hadid, Jasmine Tooks. These were all the Victoria's Secret Angel prototypes. And this really happened at a time when we were also... Um, very transfixed by thin bodies. Now, I, I just want to say, and this will come up later in the podcast, being skinny has never gone out of style. And I really think people who insist that the past couple years wasn't also a time when skinny was very celebrated are kidding themselves. I think if anything, since the early 2010s, it's just been more acceptable and people are less likely to call you an obese heifer for being a size eight or above, which if you think that quote is mean, that is a real quote from um, this reality TV show, The Biggest Loser, where people were forced to lose weight on a national stage. I'm laughing because it's so horrible. On a national stage, and they were basically rewarded for their weight loss. And one of the contestants very scandalously 
um, referred to herself as an obese heifer. It was a horrible show and a horrible time, but I'm just trying to paint a cultural picture of where Victoria's Secret sat in all this because that's what I really want to talk about this week. I want to gossip. I want to engage in some cultural analysis of why I don't think Victoria's Secret will ever bounce back to what it once was. Even though I think it could, it just chooses not to. Where were we? Oh, yes, I was contextualizing Victoria's Secret. So in about 1994, 1995, Victoria's Secret hosts its first inaugural fashion show, and this would continue on for almost 20 years up until 2018 when the Victoria's Secret fashion show ended. And this fashion show was huge. It used to be broadcast on cable. Um, All the you know, bras from the show would typically sell out. It was a huge deal. I remember at the mall that I grew up in, shout out to the Ross Park Mall in the North Hills, but, you know, you would see like digital videos played in ads of the models walking. And even the showrooms were meant to feel like backstage runway spaces because you too could purchase this mega push-up bra, which gotta give it to Victoria's Secret, the best push-up bra you will ever buy. Like back when I was in high school and I had non-existent boobs, like two little A cups, that used to be able to take you from like an A to a C. It truly God's work and God's padding in those bras. Okay. Um, but you were sold the experience of you can be a Victoria's Secret angel and you can feel sexy and blah, 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 blah. And a big part of selling these shows were the celebrities who would host, perform. Um, they would have a bunch of celebrities come down almost like it was a celebrity fashion week. There was a red carpet. It was a very big deal. Now, this shouldn't surprise anyone listening, but a fashion show that occurred between 1995 and 2018, what do you think the models looked like? Um, They were all extremely thin with huge padded boobs. Again, padded because a model who's railway thin, you know, she's not going to have double D's on her chest, but those bras, again, God's work and God's padding. Um, They were usually white, blonde specifically. There were maybe one or two black girls, depending on the year, but they really only booked black models if they were like the upper echelon of modeling talent. So Tyra Banks, Naomi Campbell, Jasmine Tukes, Jordan Dunn, Chanel Amon, five of the black models who kind of very famously were allowed to go on the runway, even though other white models who had maybe only booked a season or two of New York Fashion Weeks or who hadn't even walked at all. Sometimes there were models whose, you know, first couple shows were Victoria's Secret were allowed to walk. So it was very exclusive. You know, there weren't really a lot of Asian girls. I'm not sure if there's ever been an indigenous model. And all of the girls pretty much had the same body type. Also, in about 2006, 2007, maybe, the Victoria's Secret diet leaked, which, as you can imagine, those girls were not eating up until a few days for showtime. I think Adriana Lima, who's one of the most famous Victoria's Secret models of all time, um, admitted that they stopped drinking water about 48 hours prior to the show just so that their body could look lean and precise and really sell this vision of sexy, thin lingerie. So it was an inherently exclusive picture of the brand 
Now, this wasn't unusual for fashion brands at the time. What was somewhat unusual is that they refused to expand their sizing beyond straight sizes. While there's never been great plus size inclusion or plus size sizing, since about 2010, brands have essentially been forced, because they did not do so willingly, they were forced to expand their sizing up into the X's. So typically, most brands don't go past 3X, even though many people have pointed out that they should. Um, but Victoria's Secret really held fast to not only a sizing model that already ran a little small, but not wanting to go above a large. And ultimately, that's what killed them. Their last show up until this year, and we'll touch on that in a moment, their last show was in 2018, and they were essentially getting killed by Fenty. If you've been living under a cultural rock, Rihanna Robin Fenty, or I'm sorry, Robin, aka Rihanna Fenty, launched her own lingerie brand, Fenty X Savage, and hosted her first ever fashion show, which was very much modeled off of the Victoria's Secret fashion show, but better. First of all, it was diverse, not only in race, ethnicity, sexuality, and gender identity, but also in body type. There were fat models, there were disabled models, there were models with visible scars, um, there were models with disabilities. I, I mean, it's a really beautiful show. It was just very inclusive and it really satisfied the cultural palette that people had been demanding for for years, which is Victoria's Secret was selling sexy and essentially telling people that if you wanted to partake in the brand, you had to be their version of sexy. It was an Abercrombie and Fitch style of marketing that just wasn't cutting it in 2018. And I say Abercrombie and Fitch style marketing because Abercrombie and Fitch, another brand that really had its high heyday in the early aughts, very much modeled itself as you need to be a certain type of person to wear our clothes. We don't want everyone to wear our clothes. But instead of pricing that on money, as most upper tier and designer brands tend to do, they price it on, are you hot enough to be in this store? Very notoriously, Abercrombie and Fitch, Hollister, Airy, or I'm sorry, not Airy, Aeropostale, um, all of those stores would only hire really good-looking people, and those good-looking people tended to be white, upper-class teens. You maybe had a slim shot of working in the back if you were Black or if you were as hot as one of the here damn diversity models they featured on their bag. So Victoria's Secret very much came from this class of exclusive marketing, aspirational marketing. And for years, it worked. As I said earlier, Victoria's Secret was once the most successful lingerie brand and outlet in America, not because it was the only brand selling lingerie. Lingerie has been sold commercially since the mid 1800s, but simply because it was marketing this vision. It wasn't even the cheapest or best produced. Again, it was just some of the best advertised until Savage X Fenty came along and killed it by essentially offering a vision of inclusion. And the brand refused to play ball. I think very famously, the CEO of the brand at the time, who has now been ousted, um, stated that he didn't want trans people or fat people or blacks um, on his runway. And so that runway closed. 
Now, what's wild is at the time of making those comments, the CEO of Victoria's Secret was already in dire financial straits. Um, The company had reduced their swimwear line, which used to be a huge deal. It was no longer able to afford to run its promotional catalogs. It was having to cut back on some of its stock, and the stock price of Victoria's Secret itself had continued to fall. Looking at it today, it is still on a negative decline. So now we're in this era of 2019 to 2023, what I'm going to call the Victoria's Secret Apology Tour era, and this is where I want to kind of focus this discussion on. Because they stopped having a show in 2019, because the brand wasn't doing as well, um, because they still at that time, at least in 2018, were refusing to really expand their sizing. The brand was suffering. It was closing its retail stores. It wasn't getting as much online business. And it was sort of just becoming an outdated thing of the past. So in 2021, Victoria's Secret attempted to finally join the diversity and inclusion train by launching this new era of angels. But these angels were noticeably bland. If, again, you're unfamiliar with Victoria's Secret, then maybe I didn't paint the proper picture of what a Victoria's Secret fashion show in its heyday looked like. It was gorgeous girls completely done to the nines in very bedroom makeup, very I-just-got-fucked hair, walking down runways that emulated bedrooms because, again, they were in lingerie and they were selling sex. It was fun pop music. It was really pretty girls wearing giant angel wings while strutting down the runway to really fun, catchy pop music. It was over-the-top glitz and glamour. It was rhinestones. It was wearing a $20,000 diamond crystal bra just for the fuck of it, just because you were on mainstream TV with only your most intimate bits covered. It was really glitz and glam. And what these ads were in 2021 was like, yes, it was diverse body groups, but it was also beige. Whereas 10 years ago, we got beautiful girls in glitz and glam. The new Victoria's Secret was beige. No makeup, light makeup, natural, untossed hair, laughing models but no color no glitz no glamour and honestly it wasn't sexy and look there's a way to make naturals and undone and a very low-key makeup look sexy but that's not what it was it almost wanted to emulate granola Like, it had the same vibe of how sexy you could possibly look on your third day of camping. And it was very weird because, yes, there were um, racially diverse models. Yes, the models were body diverse of all different weights. And I believe there was a disabled model in there. But, like, why didn't any of them look hot? And I'm not talking about the models themselves were ugly. I mean, like, why the fuck didn't they have? pounds of makeup and why couldn't I tell that a makeup artist had smudged their under eyes just so to make it seem like again they had just gotten fucked where was the tousled hair 
where where was just the the way that they laughed you could tell that they were like basking in a musky vanilla perfume where was the lip gloss where the fuck was the highlighter where was that body sweat sheen they used to put on the models that again made them look like they just crawled of a bedroom where was the sex it was nowhere it was gone it was replaced by this almost airy ripoff except here's the thing victoria's secret is notoriously bad quality you don't walk into victoria's secret looking for a good pair of panties that's not where you go when you want to make a panty investment that's where you go to buy panties that will be off of your body in about four minutes that's where you go to buy a set to put that shit on that's not where you go to buy a pair of panties that you would actually do anything in okay you go to victoria's secret to get a bra that will make it look like you have boobs. You don't go to Victoria's Secret to get a bra that's actually going to support your tits. Do you get what I'm trying to say here? And all of a sudden, Victoria's Secret was trying to do this whole airy, earth girl, unretouched vibe. And it made no sense. And it really pointed to the insult that it existed the first time the brand had been told like you need to make your models more diverse which is they were still gatekeeping what they had always been experts in sexiness to a very specific portion of girls a portion of girls that's just not attainable for everyone because not everyone looks like a victoria's secret model and that's okay but instead of saying hey look you may not be a Victoria's Secret model, but we can still sell you sexy. The brand had always said, you can only wear our clothes if you already meet the prerequisites for sexy. And since they thought the issue was the fact that they were selling sex and not the fact that they were making the sale of sex exclusionary, these new models just looked busted. Like, I'm not going to Victoria's Secret for neutrals. God damn it. Now, a lot of people felt the way I did at the time, which was, wow, okay, so in its heyday, this brand couldn't give a fuck about us. Now this brand is losing money and feels like they have to appeal to body diversity, but they can't even do it in a way that feels like they're honoring or they're really pleased for their models to be there. So that initial relaunch didn't work. So Victoria's Secret goes back to the drawing board and now tries to produce the mess that's supposed to come out this week, which is the updated Oh, and I wish you could see my finger quotes. Victoria's Secret Show. Naomi Campbell, supermodel legend Naomi Campbell, will be hosting and reading a poem. There will be no runway, just performance art. Again, this is so close to being a ripoff of the Fenty Show. And according to the first inside looks from the New York Times and The Cut, it's really not that sexy. And I think it says something very telling that they keep failing again and again and again. Also, interestingly, in order to promote this, they've been working with a lot of really cool up and coming influencers to conduct these like intellectual interviews and ask people like, you know, what is Latino representation? What is black representation in Victoria's Secret? mean to you blah 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 blah. when do you feel sexy but then they're it's like they're trying to intellectualize sex but again the sex wasn't ever the problem just making people feel like they too can be sexy without the body type that's on the billboards would have made them multi-millions 
But I guess it's not fair to call the show a flop because it still has a couple of days to come out. So here are my two predictions. If and, and what it could mean. If the show flops, I think it'll mean that we're still on track with where we were about three or four years ago in terms of actually holding brands and the people we identify with to standards of body diversity and inclusion. If the brand and the show succeeds, even with this like very unsexy version of sexiness that still again is limiting the og victoria's secret glitz and glam to that specific group of girls then i think it'll show some acceptance and what i think is the current regression we're experiencing in the whole like diversity and inclusion specifically body diversity space because i think for every progressive step forward in life there are like two steps back And that could be the subject of a whole other podcast, why that happens and all the examples. But one such history is Reagan's presidency after all the gains of the civil rights movement and how he was essentially able to take advantage of white fears of um, universal racial equality in order to advance really harmful policies and ultimately kind of undo the very recent successes of the civil rights movement. I think we're going back to a more hostile body climate. Not to say that we've ever been in a climate that was particularly welcoming to bigger bodies. Again, I just think people are mistaking that the outright hostility towards people who are bigger than like a size four or a size six to reserving that hostility for people who are very, very large is not really a gain, but more so that average everyday people didn't feel, you know, Jillian Michaels' militant Nike little boot on their neck and thought that shit was sweet. But being thin has always been socially rewarded. There are always clothes for you if you're thin in a way that being larger just is not. Okay, it was kind of a ramble, but ultimately I think my gut instinct will be right and that Victoria's Secret is never going to be able to recoup its place in the cultural consciousness because it refuses to adapt. Now, I did preface this whole disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast by saying that Victoria's Secret absolutely could make a comeback. And if the pigeons at the top of their board ever realize that all they have to do is just put someone who they've never put on the runway before, so someone who has an unconventional model body type on the runway, put some angel wings on her and say that she's the head angel for that year, like they will make all that money back. It will just be that easy. Why they refuse to do that, I don't know. Probably because the Victoria's Secret board is made up of people who've been eating almonds for 12 years. You know, probably because they're the same people who are in leadership positions like 10 years ago and realistically they still harbor the same, you know, like racist, fat phobic, whatever ism attitudes that prevented them from putting anyone but like literal Barbie clones on the runway. I mean, I mean, that's it. But it is fascinating to think of and I think I'll have to do 
a follow-up podcast episode, but I guess I never touched on why I decided to make this a podcast episode instead of a TikTok or YouTube video. And that's because very interestingly, each time Victoria's Secret has flopped, they scrub the internet of all their ads and attempts. I know because I could have sworn that I bookmarked a few years ago um, the new Victoria's Secret ad and I couldn't find it. And I did like so much Googling and it is so hard to find these old ads. And I was like, oh, fuck it. Like if I'm not gonna be able to provide people visuals i can provide them the descriptions of spoken word which is why i took it to a podcast in the first place so i so strongly predict that three years from now if this victoria's secret show doesn't go well like it will be really really hard to find incredibly so because it's so hard to find their flop ads from 2021 now and if you are very internet savvy please dm me but that's all for the episode now. I thought it would be talk. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about fashion. Before again, we get the real fashion expert on here next week. Just a reminder, my sister Alana will be my guest on this podcast. She's worked Paris Fashion Week, and most recently, last week, she was a creative director at New York Fashion Week for a really cool designer brand. She's going to come on talk about her designs, the role in New York Fashion Week, her opinions on if Fashion Week was dead, and what the real upcoming trends are for the year. Since I know everyone on TikTok wants to have their little heyday, but I have my own little fashion expert. So I'm really, really excited. And I would love if you guys would send in questions or topics that you'd love for us to discuss because I did reserve like seven minutes of our interview so that she could answer you guys' questions. She's really excited about it. I'm really excited about it. So until next week, love you. Bye.